got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Hello, Dolly. This is Louis Dolly. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. You looking swell, Dolly. I can't tell, Dolly. You still glowing, you still glowing, you still going strong. My king. Stop it, stop it. I have great things to show you, brother. Here are your communication devices for Korea. Unlimited range, also equipped with audio surveillance system. Check these out. Remote access Kimoyo beads, updated to interface directly with my sand table. Ah, and what are these? The real question is what are Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I had the pleasure of uh, watching the uh, pre-screening of, um, or not pre-screening because it's now on release on Sky Store, uh, of Judas and the Messiah, and the Black Messiah. Hi, I'm producer Dave, and yes, I've also seen Judas and the Black Messiah, and I'm recommending that anyone who can... Oh, don't, 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 don't say anything yet, don't say anything yet, don't say anything yet, oh, because we, okay. yeah. we want to talk about it, like, maybe next week, we'll talk about it next week, right? So we'll say whether it's good or bad, we want to keep people hanging, and then we'll actually, that will be our intro for next week, we'll have our intro discussion about what we thought about Judas and the Black Messiah, because I want, I, I want to watch it again, so I can... I can I can get some points. There's some points that I was that I that flew right by me. I didn't want to rewind and rewatch, so I just want to I wanted to go back watch it again, and I'll do that this weekend, and then we can have a full long conversation about it next week. Okay, fine by me. <laughs> plus, plus we're gonna start talking about it, and then we're not gonna have enough time because we have a jam packed episode uh, this week, right? So uh, we we because we are going to be talking in, in the film and TV news. We're going to be talking to uh, return guests. We love these guys, uh, uh, John Alexander and JC Guests. The, the last time they were on, they, they were the filmmakers behind This Is Love about uh, the beloved film um, music um, um, musician, soul musician, Rudy Ray Love. Uh, and now they're coming back with another music related story uh, documentary called Little Satchmo, which is about the uh, hidden daughter of great Satchmo himself, Louis Armstrong. But we'll talk more about that on the show on, in that section. And then in our spotlight today, uh, producer Dave and I had a conversation with uh, Craig Spencer, who is the founder of the Black Mamba anti-poaching unit in the Kruger Park Kruger Park Kruger Wildlife Resort Park in South Africa. They've teamed up with Samsung to to sort of to help to promote a live stream 
of the wildlife resort to also help anti in their anti-poaching scheme. You'll hear more, more about that when we talk about it in Spotlight. Uh, so we'll not do any top five this week because those two interviews were jam-packed. We could have gone on for hours, but we, we tried our best and we brought it in into a nice, concise section for you. But let me stop uh, rabbiting on. Let's just jump straight into film and TV news. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. Producer Dave, completely forgetting that he was on the show. <laughs> and, oh, thank and you. We're, we're, we're joined, we're, we're jo- we're joined by, uh, by guests that we had uh, in the past who, had, uh, who came in the previous time with a film that they had done, a documentary called This Is Love, about the, uh, the, the wonderful singer, uh, uh, Rudy Love, Rudy Ray Love. They're now coming back with another project. Uh, let me just let them introduce themselves. Please tell us your names and the project that you are now working on. I'm JC Guest, and this is uh, John. Yeah, I'm John Alexander, <laughs> and I'm the director of Little Satchmo, which JC Guest is producing. I, I love I love how those people know, people know watching this obviously because this is an audio this is a pod audio podcast. Uh, JC just nodded towards <laughs> towards John. John. John obviously hasn't had his coffee yet, so he's uh, <laughs> he's still a little. Uh, it's okay. I'm 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 getting into this. I'm getting into this. Welcome back, John and JC. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, you, you're you're here with a with another um, music related documentary, a uh, little Satchmo for. Uh, the name Satchmo sounds familiar to some people. Please tell us wh- what is this project about and who's the subject of your documentary? Yeah, I mean, little Satchmo, Satchmo refers to Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong, who's, you know, possibly one of the most famous Americans of all time, even though the younger generations may, may or may not be familiar with him, I'm finding out. Um, but he's, he's a jazz icon, you know, created the American sound in, in many ways and sort of you know, on the frontier of, of music and of integrating audiences, um, big figure in America. The film you mentioned is sort of a music project. It's really, this, the main subject of the film is actually Louis Armstrong's secret daughter. It was, it was widely believed that Louis Armstrong never had any children. Um, it was actually rumored that he was impotent because he was notoriously a ladies man, but had no documented children. And several years ago, a woman comes out of the woodwork and says, actually, uh, I'm Louis Armstrong's daughter. And he fathered me his whole life and supported me and loved me. And we had to keep the entire thing completely secret because it was a uh, quote unquote illegitimate child. She's in fact, quite legitimate. It's just a phrase, but um, this is essentially the unveiling of another side of the American icon that audiences never knew existed. And and the daughter is Sharon Preston Falter. Did I get that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, is she is she in any way? Because she released a memoir a few years ago uh, about this. But is is she tied to music in any way, shape, or form? Is she a musician herself, or is she is she completely removed from the industry? You know, she happens to work in radio, but in radio sales and. Uh, you know, broadcast marketing, radio marketing, but um, 
you know, the documentary really, people often ask, well, what's, is her life interesting? Was it, does it have to do with music? Does she work in jazz? And the answer is, is essentially no, but uh, even, if, even if it were yes, I think that the film would barely even touch on that. I mean, what's, what's, what's of interest to the film is purely just the fact about this father-daughter relationship and the fact that they had this relationship which was close, but completely secret. And that's really what the film kind of narrowly dives into. So she, she does work in radio. She's has an amazing ear. She, I think I would argue she has her father's ear. She definitely has her father's face. Um, once you see her, there's no, you know, uh, there's an uncanny resemblance, but, um, but no, you know, she does, she's not a musician herself. She, she's a jazz enthusiast. But you know, a big part of her life, or at least the, the way we depict it in the film, which I do believe is accurate, is the fact that she had to harbor this secret, and so did her father. I mean, they had they had to carry this burden, and it was really the two of them that carried it together. Uh, my my throughout my life, my every, every, anyone who knows me knows that I pretty much associate uh, major learning points, major growing points with film. Uh, my first encounter with Louis Armstrong. Uh, Sachmo was um, in Hello Dolly, the Barbara Streisand film Hello Dolly. That's where I first, because I, I used to watch that as a child on repeat. I first encountered him with that in 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 that film, and then I've sort of followed him afterwards. You know, with other songs that would come in, and I, I had a dictaphone that I'd tape some of the songs on the radio, and I just listened to What a Wonderful World. Those people who who are trying to associate the name with the with the singer, uh, What a Wonderful World is one of his worldwide smash hits. Um, so it's it's a sense where, and in fact, even for me, thinking back on Hello Dolly, the first image I get is him singing Hello Dolly. Um, so with such a huge uh, character as as Satchmo was himself. And then for this secret to come out uh, or this unveiling to occur decades after his death, um, from your perspective, and obviously you've had encounters with, uh, with his daughter, how, has, how was that revelation uh, received by the general public uh, after she had released her memoirs indicating that she was his, you, you said illegitimate, it's not, we're not gonna use the word illegitimate, but you know, his secret child. How did the world receive that news? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And it's a question I think we're still kind of figuring out the answer to. We'll see how audiences respond to this film, you know, because the film is technically still in post-production. You know, we're just kind of beginning to come, come out into the, into public with it. I mean, in terms of, we just released a trailer you know, by Deadline and Rolling Stone, just and that that's given a little bit of, of indication of audiences' reactions to it. I, I was quite nervous about it, as the whole team was. I mean, in terms of Louis Armstrong is a beloved icon. Everybody sort of claims him as that. You know, we all feel like he's our uncle or something. We all feel like we're his children. You know, you could argue. And now somebody comes out and says, "Oh, actually, there's this whole other side to him." It could be. It could almost be slanted as as smearing against him, saying, "Oh, he wasn't a perfect figure." You know, we've kind of immortalized him. Um, I'm optimistic. You know, as as we've gone through this process, that that it's actually not smearing him so much as giving him a more three-dimensional existence. We've, in a way, in a way his, his legacy has sort of been reduced to a caricature. I mean, you say character and I agree, but he, he's, al he's almost been reduced to a caricature. People think of him as just black guy with a trumpet from New Orleans. And that's essentially what they know about him, you know, kind of always smiling, 
um, happy-go-lucky, you know, and and of course that was his public persona on on television because he was already pushing it in terms of race boundaries, but I mean by integrating audiences, but um, you know there was a lot more to the man. I mean he was he was a real he was actually a real person. He had desires, he had secrets. He wasn't just he wasn't always happy. Um, and I'm hoping that it's actually rather than saying oh you know. He, Louis Armstrong was a drop-in daddy who had a, you know, a, a child that he fathered, but was sort of intermittent in his presence with, which you, you could say was sort of a negative portrayal of him. I actually believe it's a compassionate portrayal to him because it, it's giving a whole new level of depth to somebody that we've sort of glossed over and assumed was just what was on face value. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. We're speaking with John Alexander and JC Guest, uh, the producers and filmmakers behind Little Satchmo. Okay, Sharon is saying that Louis Armstrong is her father. So I know that a lot of people are going to ask, the first question is, what proof has she that he was her father? Well, one way to perhaps talk, fatherhood is a funny thing. And fatherhood inherently has a lot of belief and trust, you know, associated with it. Um, and one thing that is very much documented and true is that Louis Armstrong believed he was Sharon's father. Okay. And this is something that we have well documented in letters and audio um, reel-to-reel recordings that he would make and send, you know, send back. Um, there's many correspondences between Louis Armstrong and his manager, Joe Glazier, um, regarding Sharon and um, setting up financial arrangements so that, you know, he set up a college fund for her. He made sure that she and her mother had a house in Westchester County, outside of New York, to live in, you know, he, he made sure that they were, you know, had financial security. Are very well documented, you know. When you get down to more modern ways of, say, proving that belief in fatherhood, you know, say DNA testing, you know. No, that's not an avenue that has been pursued and really no one's interested in pursuing it because, you know, certainly that, you know, you know, belief is there and, you know, and the relationship was there. And that's, you know, and that, you know, combined with, you know, like, as John said earlier, the strong family resemblance you know, it really seems like, you know, what more proof do you need? <laughs> you know? It's true. And I mean, just to jump in too, I mean, people, it's, it's obviously, as you mentioned, it's one of the first questions everybody asks is, well, is there a DNA test? Show me the proof. I mean, do Louis Armstrong's secret daughter, or maybe, maybe there's other secret daughters. Maybe she's not the only one. People have pointed that out too. Um, but I think that those are questions that will be asked only before seeing the film. This is my this is my ego speaking, maybe, but like I think it's the type of question once you sort of see the accretion of evidence, these letters that JC is mentioning, the the recordings that Louis Armstrong would would send to his daughter, say, "Oh, how's my dear little baby?" and "Oh, I'm so excited, she's on her way." And I mean, it was apparent that he believed this was 
his daughter. And, I mean, and it was his daughter uh, because, you know, Sharon's mother believed it. Sharon believed it and he believed it. Well, I mean, what else do we, what else do we need? But after the film, after you see the film, I don't think anyone's going to be asking that question. I mean, that's and, because as far as I'm concerned, if the father is acknowledging the child, then that is the father, if you see what I mean. That's the most important thing, as long as he's acknowledging the child. So if you're saying that she's got the evidence that he's acknowledged her, that's great. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's one of the things, you know, going back to what John was talking about, about this film, you know, really being a you know, very empathetic portrayal of Louis Armstrong is that you know, he did not have to do this. He could have easily run away from this relationship as soon as she, he heard that, you know, that uh, Sharon's mother was pregnant and he didn't. You know, this was something that he really always wanted to be a father and relatively late in life, he learned that he had an opportunity you know, to do so. And he really embraced that relationship and made sure that, you know, in a, yes, you know, somewhat imperfect way, but in a real way, you know, he had a relationship, you know, with his daughter and he was a father. And Sharon certainly believes that he thought he was a very good father, you know, and certainly compared to, you know, all of the father figures that he had in his past, you know, which were, you know, very, you know, flawed father figures in their own ways. Um, so yes, exactly. Fatherhood is a lot about belief and acknowledgement. And in this case, it was all very much mutual. And, and in the trailer for, for your film and in the Rolling Stone article, uh, Sharon says, publicly fawning over child fathered with his mistress wasn't exactly an option for Louis Armstrong. He always wanted to be a father, but we had to keep it all a secret. So uh, obviously because of his fame and because uh, again, setting, if you think of time, you know, time zones or not time zones, time zones is the wrong word, um, you know, errors. Yeah, yeah, thank you, errors, right. right? So it's one of those situations as well as the fact that his publicity, his celebrity as a black man in America was at a time where anything that could tarnish his reputation, the slightest thing that could tarnish his reputation essentially would tarnish his reputation and shut down his career. So a scandal such as uh, a child out of wedlock, while these days you have American presidents who can, who can, who can right. have that but, and, and, and it's okay, back then it was not something that could be seen as forgivable in that regards. Now, the question I want to ask that, and I, I don't know if it's addressed in your film, uh, Louis Armstrong died in 1971. Uh, we're now 2021. Uh, the, the, uh, she wrote her memoirs in 2012. Why the delay from his death to her reveal? Why, why was there a delay? Is this addressed in the film? It, it is addressed in the film in kind of an ob obtuse way. Um, it's really because th there's no specific reason. It's kind of an emotional reason. Um, it's really just because of the hardship of bearing this. I mean, it was, she had to go endure so many years of, of holding this secret. And, you know, it, it's a really big part of her life. I mean, back to your first question, you know, if, if you live an existence like this, being the, the child of let's just say the most famous American of all time, and you can't tell anybody about it, you're essentially denying your, your, your own existence and being forced to deny your own existence. And it leaves, I think, I, you know, in my research and 
close conversations with Sharon about this, I believe that that leaves a, a, a lasting scar that takes years or decades to recover from. And she's still, in a sense, recovering from it. I don't, I don't want to speak too much for Sharon, but we've had conversations where, you know, this film is sort of another step of her therapy of dealing with this. You know, it's, this is the story of her life. Um, you know, she, she lived this life. Even, even if, we, let's say, a DNA, DNA test came back, not that, not that anyone's going to do this and not that it would come back with this result, but let's say, let's say she was not related to, to Louis Armstrong. She is, but she still lived this life, you know, and it still takes years to recover from that. So I think that's what the delay is about. It's just the fact that this is really, really tough as loving as the relationship was it, she wasn't ready to confront it and she ne and she never really had the opportunity to confront it i mean other other film um i, I believe some other f you know film companies had been in discussion with sharon it wasn't quite the right fit they weren't going to do it quite you know we've been trying to work with sharon it's in close participation with her we're not really just treating her as a as a subject i mean she's really a collaborator in this project and and has a real voice and how we're telling her story it's really important to me since that I mean, so much of her existence was kind of glossed over previously that that she really has a say in how this is is coming out and it's authentic to her perspective so i think that's what the delay was about in terms of writing the book it, it you know first of all it takes a long time to write a book but um just i think it's an emotional uh, an emotional issue you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Acco. And I'm producer Dave. And we have with us the filmmakers behind the film, Little Satchmo, JC Guest, and John Alexander. The last time they were on here, they had another beautiful, and I watched, I got to watch that film. You haven't sent me the screener for this one. Uh, you, um, you sent me the screener for This Is Love before we went in and before we came to interview you. And my heart was was broken and mended and, and lifted by, uh, by the story of Rudy Ray Love. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, based on your your work, your previous work, that uh, Little Satchmo is going to do exactly the same thing. But it seems there's a there's there's a, tends to be a trend in your projects and both the projects that both of you work, where you find these gems. Uh, you know, they sort of have a they they the back they they backstage behind global success. Same thing with Rudy Ray Love. A lot of the work that he had done, he had you know a, a lot. Of, he he influenced a lot of big name celebrities like Eric Clapton and so on with his music. They all, you know, rave about him, but he was always in the background. Nobody ever really, not nobody ever really, but globally people yeah. didn't remember him. Same thing with uh, with Sharon being the the hidden daughter of, of Louis Armstrong. Uh, is this a trend uh, in your uh, film career that you're just literally going to be unearthing these gems and and using them as your documentary fodder? I, I don't know. As long as, as long as JC keeps letting me do these kind of stories, I think it will be a trend. Uh, honestly, it's one of these things. It's like probably like psychoanalysis or something. I think we're just sort of doing this and not real, sort of looking in the rearview mirror and, and in retrospect realizing what we've done. It was not conscious to to make a pattern in our work. I never. I wish I could say it was like a dream of mine to unearth unsung heroes or behind the scenes people, and that that was always my dream. It, it really wasn't. It's always just been to make films. And we happened to stumble into meeting Rudy Love when we were on a, a previous film. And that, you know, and that was captivating and gripping and we, we went with it. And then because of that film, 
Sharon was introduced to us. I mean, it, it's sort of it's sort of an underwhelming answer to your question. I wish I had something more interesting to say, but really one project just kind of led to another. And I mean, once we kind of stumbled into the material, we just couldn't resist it. It's, it's not a problem having a niche, right? If you have a niche in the market and you're using that, that's fine. You're, when you come into the third film and it's about the guy who inspired the, you know, Elvis, Elvis Presley and his songs or, or, or something else like that, like Cliff, I don't know, I was going to say Cliff Richard, but I don't know if Cliff Richard is as big in America as he is in the UK. But when you have uh, Cliff Richard's inspiration, and you're doing the, the the documentary for it well i'll just avoid that question and just introduce you as the niche of uncovered gems right, that, that's basically yeah, what I, it is. I should just lean into it and, and yeah absolutely that at this absolutely. it's a pattern so but uh, i i promise you that uh you know if we come back on on the show with you know what you know our next film you know i can't talk about it right now but i promise you that it'll be very very different oh fair <laughs> enough this is where you're going into full going into fiction and it's action-packed it's, it's ex expendables four that's basically what you're coming up with i i, I know but yes <laughs> That's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll break the story here. I, I believe producer Dave has a question. You said earlier that the film is currently in post-production. So I'm just wondering, when, was the, when did you start filming? Yeah, right. So we, we um, it was all in 2020. It was actually really the summer and fall of 2020. It was actually a relatively fast turnaround, especially considering the pandemic. Um, well, and especially in comparison to my previous work, which took eons, but we, we did the principal photography in fall of 2020. It was it was a you know socially distanced, masked shoot where we quarantined before, and that presented all sorts of new challenges. But we, of course, safety came first. Um, filmed in 20 fall of 2020. We've been editing ever since. And by the way, I will send you guys a screener as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as the cut is locked. Uh, we will be announcing a world premiere very soon. Actually, it will be coming out in Europe um, this summer at, at festivals that are may, may or may not be Oscar qualifying. So I'll just you know throw that out there. But we will we'll absolutely send you a screener. Hope to maybe you know have another chat about it after after that point. But um, it was filmed. The, the shoot was actually quite quick i mean it, because of both because of the pandemic and because of sort of my insistence on it all coming from sharon's perspective we did a short shoot with sharon it was, only, it was actually only four days of you know so-called principal photography with sharon four pretty intense days um which we planned for i mean it was not interview based it's it's really lifted from or adapted from her memoir so in a way we had a lot of in a way, it was more of a narrative feature film style shoot rather than a typical documentary. We, I was not having her sit down and just kind of expound on the story of her life. It was highly planned. Um, so that was that shoot. And then the rest of the shoots are either essentially sort of B-roll second unit type shoots that, that the reason for that was that they were supposed to be point of view. Um, and I, I believe it's effective. I mean, it's all sort of seen from this child's, from little Satchmo's point of view. So that didn't involve any actors. It didn't involve Sharon. Um, what, what did involve Sharon extensively, and we probably spent more time on this than anything else, was the fact that Sharon narrates the whole film. So it's all from her perspective. She's the only voice you hear other than occasionally, you know, or more than occasionally, but periodically her father's 
you know, musings to her and, and a bit of his music. Um, but it's all from her perspective. So we did, we did voiceover sessions remotely over FaceTime and Zoom while Sharon was in her home studio and we were in ours. And that was really the bulk of, of the filming and, uh, you know, or the recording, um, which happened um, in the summer of 2020. So it was, it was a relatively fast turnaround. We're just locking a cut now um, and doing kind of final touches with some, some original music and, and visual effects and kind of putting, putting the finishing touches on it before we start sharing screeners with people like, like you guys. Did you, uh, oh, about the, the screeners. I, I, I used to be shy about asking for screeners, but I've been doing this for three years. I'm shameless with it now. So <laughs> it just it, for, for anyone else listening out there, filmmakers, if you've got a film that you want to come and shoot the breeze and talk about, send me a screener. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not going to be shameless about it at all. Just go for it. You, you mentioned that uh, some of uh, Louis Armstrong's music is featured in film. Did you have any trouble licensing the music to put in the film? Yeah, so that is something that, you know, the, of course, you know, what we are using is, you know, we are very careful about, um, and, you know, we are extensively working, you know, with a clearance attorney and working with licensing and, you know, fair use, you know, fair use has been implemented quite successfully over the past, you know, 10, 15 years you know, in documentaries, you know, so certainly working, you know, it is somewhat of a fine line that we're walking, but yeah, so far we're successful. And we also have some uh, original music that we're actually quite excited about as well. That's going to be you know, used in the film. And, I mean, you mentioned earlier, Hello Dolly and What a, what a Wonderful World, two of Louis Armstrong's most famous recordings. For example, we might use a little clip of Hello Dolly in the film, but the the reason we use it is not just to enjoy the the sound of the song. It it always per fair use. It always connects back to Sharon. So Sharon says, "I heard these recordings on the radio, and it made me miss my father," or you know something to the effect of that. And then you hear only an, enough of the song in order to make a point. We're not just gratuitously using this music. Um, so that's key. And then in terms of the original music, we are, just this past weekend, it was yesterday, it was mixed. Um, Emmy, Grammy nominee winner, Eddie Corvin, dear friend of ours, is, is working on that. I'm so happy to have his expertise. And he's a Louis Armstrong expert to begin with. So the sound is sort of echoing a lot of, of Louis Armstrong kind of idioms. But he brought in Wycliffe Gordon, renowned jazz horn player, the music, I'm, I'm very excited about the music and for people to hear it. That is absolutely fantastic. Um, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we have the filmmakers behind Little Satchmo. I just want to thank uh, JC Guest and John Alexander. Thank you very much for coming back on the show. Uh, I'll be waiting for the screener so I can check it out. But don't rush. Make sure you make it as good as as you did uh, uh, This Is Love. And when you get the chance, say hi to, to Rudy Ray for us because uh, I've been following him on Instagram. I love the guy. Guy's music is fantastic. Uh, say, I don't know, he probably doesn't know about us, but just say hi from Marcus and John uh, and John and producer Dave from Shoot the Breeze. <laughs> I'll say hi to him too. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, we appreciate that. And I, I want to also give a shout out to... The the people who connected us. I mean, the Shakespeare sisters, great renowned up and coming filmmakers in, in London. Um, they're the ones who, who first saw 
our film This Is Love and, and hosted us when we came to London per Elliot Grove at Raindance and they introduced us to you guys. So uh, check, check out, if, for those listening, check out the Shakespeare sisters work as well. Hey, we, every opportunity that we get, we we give the shout out to the Shakespeare sisters. Oh, hard to say that word. Um, but yeah, we, we they have nothing but love from this show. So uh, yes, absolutely. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm producer Dave. And that was John... And that was John Alexander and JC Guest talking to us about Little Satchmo. Can't wait for that movie to come out. Can't wait for them to send us the screener so we can watch it. Um, but now we're going to jump into the next segment, which is Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm producer Dave. And joined by uh, by the founder of uh, the Black Mamba Unit, the Black Mamba Anti-Poaching Unit. Uh, but I won't talk about that group. I would let our guest tell us about it. So please tell us your name and tell us what the Black Mamba Anti-Poaching Unit is all about. Thanks, Marcus and uh, Dave. Yeah, so I'm Craig Spencer. I'm sitting here outside on the banks of the Olifants River in the Greater Kruger National Park, South Africa. Uh, and, you know, in 2012, the rhinos started dying here as the poachers came in and, and were hunting them for their horns. And we, we thought we'd use a different approach this time around because this is not the first time it's happened. You know, rhinos have been persecuted quite a few times in their history. And uh, we thought, how do we kind of... Um, find a long-term solution to this, something that's going to have long-term returns. So we approached the tribal communities and employed a small team of young women from the tribal communities right on our borders. And uh, you know, we needed to demonstrate to the world that this was going to work first. So we started with six, and after a few years, it has grown to 36 young women. They patrol day and night, and there are various other activities as well. But yeah, that's the that's a success. That was in 2013 that we deployed uh, so what is that now? Eight, almost nine years that we've been on the ground. Wow, that's that's um, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, it's amazing story. Just uh, hearing from you, from you in that regards. Um, what you do because what brought this to our attention was uh, the was the fact that you're now teaming up with Samsung Europe. Tell us a little bit about how you're connected with Samsung. Yeah. So um, yeah, again, it was one of those funny stories. You know, we we attracted into this arena because we kind of shy away from. Um, technology and norms and standards of society and that sort of thing. So, you know, our field rangers and ourselves, even sitting here out on the banks of the river, we um, not technically advanced, but we found that the, the poachers were. They're using cell phone technology to navigate. They're communicating with people inside the park to get information. Um, they are photographs of the horns and marketing it on social media or, or sending the horns, you know, whatever. The, the Cell phone technology was a big tool in their toolbox, and we were left behind, you know, filling notebooks with pens and, uh, you know, drawing on big old dated maps with rulers and crayons and this kind of thing. I thought, wow, how come we've been left so far behind? And when the sun goes down, we lose the ability to see and hear and what have you as well as we can during the day. And the poachers operate at nighttime, so we needed something to up the game. You know, where I'm sitting now, it's about 42 degrees Celsius with 80% humidity. It's hot. 
Can you imagine walking around in that full um, military uniform with those boots and a backpack and so on in this heat? You're going to get tired. You're going to miss things and so on. So we needed something that was going to up the game. And uh, Samsung came with this fantastical solution with two permanent cameras on the landscape. That one is watching the Ulifants River where the poachers tend to cross over from time to time, dodging crocodiles and hippos. And then the other one is on the landscape where the rhinos come to drink. So we want to see where and when the rhinos are so we know how best to protect them. And then we've got one mobile unit on an old beaten up four by four that we can move around on the park and park it in a spot on full moon. We know the guys are going to operate there or the rhinos are operating here, you know, so we can move it around. And that's a fantastic strategic weapon. But there's another game changer for us, apart from those cameras that are being watched around the clock all over the world. We also have these, uh, what is it, the Galaxy Note S, whatever, S20, I think it is, and upcycled cell phones, old ones that have been revamped and so on. So every black mamba that's patrolling in the field has a phone with it. So we can see where they are at any one time. We can respond to anything that they report. They can report with imagery day and night. The cameras, the optics are fantastic on these things. So, I mean, it helps them with their safety out there. Can you imagine they walk into a herd of elephants or a proud of lions or whatever on patrol and they call us in the ops room and say, hey, uh, I think you need to come and fetch me in a vehicle now. I say, where are you? Oh, we're here by that tree where the termite mound was. You know, remember that place where we once had lunch kind of thing and it will take us forever to find them. So the, the risk to them was quite high before we got the cell phones. Now that makes perfect sense. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And with us is the founder of the Black Mamba, Anching Craig. Uh, Craig, you, uh, your team, the uh, Black Mamba unit, one of the bits that stood out in the press release that was sent to us was this is an all-female unit. Is that correct? That is 100% correct, yes. 36 young women. They've divided, divided into five teams and they operate. The landscape is so vast here, you know, that we probably need 136 black members to cover the whole landscape. But, you know, with the resources that we got, they're deployed in five different places on the landscape and they patrol day and night. That's that's a fantastic uh, feat to have that number of people who are going against. And this is uh, obviously it's you're going anti-poaching. You're going against people who have weapons, who are who understand the dangers, not just from the animals, but also from teams such as your team to try and stop them from doing what they're doing. Um, I don't know. Would you be in? interested in sharing with us uh, at least one incident that um, the Black Mamba unit have had uh, one encounter with poachers that you want to share with us or that you're yeah. able to share with us? Yeah, so, um, you know, when, if we talk about technology and the value of technology, in the past, uh, you know, you're quite compromised at nighttime when the when the lights go out and the sun goes down, then, you know, you, you're trying to detect the poachers using your ears and maybe they use a flashlight or something that will expose them. Or night vision goggles are, you know, they're a bit dubious out here with this heat, uh, you know, and they've also got limited range, blah, 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 blah. So we try to position the mambas in strategic locations where they will disrupt the landscape. The poacher will see them and run away because he doesn't want to get caught. And on one particular evening, we had moved one of these little trail cams that we were experimenting with to a location that we thought was going to be used by the poachers, a route that they were going to use to penetrate onto the landscape. And we positioned Mambas close by. And the camera 
we thought it had failed because it didn't send us the image. You know, it's ancient technology before we got the Samsung technology. And the next morning when we checked on the camera, we could see that poachers had a group of three poachers with one big weapon and an axe had walked past the camera. They then had seen the mambas, dropped everything and ran away. So the two images were the poachers coming past, turning around, dropping everything and going straight back out again. And the mambas retrieved the weapons and the axes and, and whatever. So the deterrent model worked. The, the value of technology is there if the technology is what it is now. But back then, I'm going back eight years now. So that was one incident. There was another, um, you know, something that I think we need to realize about the black mambas is because they're in the public interface. They're patrolling the boundaries of the park, uh, you know, where the tribal community sees them every single day, up and down, up and down. Apart from the teams that are in the thick bush, they see the mambas every day. And on one, so it's more of a community um, approach than anything else. And on one particular evening, the mambas on their normal routine patrol witnessed a vehicle driving past down the boundary. And there was a woman tied up, bound on the back. So she had been abducted and she was trying to shout for help, but she couldn't because she was kind of incapacitated. But so the mambas charged after the vehicle, but they're on the opposite side of the boundary fence. So there's this massive elephant-proof electric fence separating them. You know, the kind of thing you see in Jurassic Park, keep T-Rex in. That's what we've got here. You know, to protect the community from the wildlife. And uh, and they couldn't catch up with the vehicles. Our roads inside the park are really bad, you know, but now this guy's on a nice provincial road, so he can pick up quite a bit more speed. So the mamas just, and, they, and they're calling everything in on the radio, vehicle description, number plate, registration numbers, all that kind of thing. It's coming through to the operations room. We managed to get a police roadblock set up on the road, but before the police could catch them, the mamas decided, let's break all protocol. We're just going to charge through the fence with a Land Rover. And intercept this vehicle and they captured the guy and really and the woman was freed and the guy ended up going to jail so that helped to boost their role as kind of role models and a service to their community tremendously we're not here to take breadwinners away from families and put fathers and brothers and uncles and things in jail or even worse in body bags we, we we're not asking them to place the life of an animal over the life of a human being we want the world to see that they actually provide a service to the community. They're protecting the wildlife economy where all the jobs and with the commercial lodges and the tourism industry, that's coming from the park. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but this many- No, that, oh, that, answered, that answered my question in, 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 in 20 fold, really, because I mean, for one, I was expecting the, the main story to, to be about, you know, them chasing poachers, but you've pretty much, you've gone, you gave us that one story with poachers and you gave us another story, which is basically uh, anti-kidnapping. So they are massive. The fact that they took that risk as well, charging through the fence, because obviously they know that even with the police roadblock uh, in place, there's no certainty that the police will be able to stop these people in time. So they took that, um, that risk to charge the fence down. And, yeah, and that's, that's right. That actually and they knew they would get into trouble. You know, they knew they would get into a lot of trouble if they damaged the fence. Because, <laughs> but they took that risk anyway to save them. And then I couldn't, I couldn't be mean to them as the warden. I couldn't say, "Hey, you broke my fence." You know, you're supposed to be catching fish. I had to say, "Well done, congratulations." That's exactly what I expect. That's above and beyond the call of duty. That's going to tie into a question I have to ask in a few minutes, but I will. I'll come to that one in a second. But I want to clear this one bit uh, first of all, which is: uh, what is your ultimate goal with your collaboration with Samsung on this particular project? Yeah, so you know, it started off uh, in our early discussions with Samsung, and of course, they've got a partner called Africam, um, and we started the discussions 
around the use of technology to up our game in the wildlife security arena. So it was supposed to be a tool in our toolbox against poachers, if you wish. We then suddenly realized after having this run on the landscape for a few weeks, and the members came to me, it's pretty they're not with me now, but they're all out there in the field. And they said, you know, we've, for years, having to take these stories back home and explain to our families what it's like to do our jobs. Now we can show them. So they take the handheld device back, the, the Galaxy Note F, whatever it's called, <laughs> and, they, and they sit at home and they show the pictures. This is your mom on duty. You know, they go to the schools and they say, guys, let me just quickly log in. And you can see the hippos and the crocodiles in the river as we speak. You can see the animals on the landscape. And this is me, those are my colleagues patrolling, you know, so on. So it's, it's, it's had this added value. It's almost like a force multiplier that we didn't anticipate. Um, we never gave it any thought. The members found that value. Uh, what we're trying to achieve with Samsung is we want eyes and ears permanently on this landscape. So there's permanent cameras. We'd like to have a few more of them out there. And we'd like to have this mobile unit available for us to dot around wherever the risks and things are. It ups our game tremendously. You know, we have a limited um, number of resources with the Mambas. We can't cover the entire landscape. The poachers are slip through. But you can't bribe a camera. Uh, you know, you can't, uh, you, you can't dodge the camera. You can't even break the camera because the camera will see you trying to break it and then we will respond immediately, <laughs> you know, so on and so on. So technology, I think, eliminates what I like to call the human bias in the security arena. It doesn't get tired. It can see at night, et cetera, et cetera. And I want the world out there to be able to access those cameras around the clock. I want teachers in classrooms in Europe and the United States and all over the show to have lesson plans designed where they've got a screen up in the classroom and they say, guys, we're going to log on and we're going to spend half an hour and everybody write down every animal you see, what's its behavior, is it eating, drinking, sleeping, social behavior. You know, it's just a, a game changer. You don't have to wait for the National Geographic uh, documentary to come out or Animal Planet or whatever it is now. You can log on in a coffee shop and entertain. You don't have to play Candy Crush to entertain yourself on the loo anymore. You can log on, you know, and have a virtual safari. Uh, one of the other significant, one of our researchers said, you know what, this is a, a fly on the wall. You can observe wildlife without interfering with them because every time you want to go and observe, let's say the social behavior of a black rhino, just your presence there is biasing their behavior. And they could move off or whatever. They, they, they change their behavior, their stress levels increase, so on and so on. Now you've got a fly on the wall, hidden in the bush that's watching them and they don't even know. So this is a ah. real kind of observational opportunity. Not sure how to explain the research. No, absolutely. Uh, abs absolutely. And with the fact that we're all in lockdown and no one can really fly anywhere. So they, it's, it's difficult for people oh, to yeah. go on safaris. But now with the, uh, the, the, uh, the phone that you're talking about, the Samsung S20 FE handsets, uh, basically being used for, uh, to boost these 24 seven live streams of the, of the wild, of the wildlife that are there. Uh, people, as you said, can use that as an opportunity to just basically watch what's going on on the safari park. And as you've pointed out, assisting the black members to to really to 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 police properly and to take care of the animals and protect both people from the animals and at the you know protect the animals from the people, the anti poachers or the poachers that are coming in. in, in uh, Producer Dave, you had a question. Marcus. Yes, yeah, sorry, Craig. I just wanted to know why you called them the black members. Oh, yeah, that's a great question, that actually. So 
uh, Southern African context, the black mamba is the most dangerous animal on the landscape here. You know, one bite from that thing and there's no chance to get to the hospital. We always say to people, crawl into the shade. So when we find your body, it doesn't stink so badly. It's, um, it's renowned as the most dangerous animal on the landscape. It invokes fear and respect immediately. And then, uh, the, you know, the black mamba is protecting the black rhino and it's been done by young black women from the African community. These are things to be very proud of. Uh, there's a certain point, you, and you could choose to edit this out if you wish, but there's a certain part of us here as an anthropologist now, I, it, it annoys me a little bit that we have made the African people almost feel embarrassed to say that they are black. You know, uh, so the newspapers, everybody dodges the term black. They just say, well, this young woman from the Mashishi Mali community. So why can't they celebrate the fact that they are young black women? You know, why, why must we celebrate that that is a black rhino and that is a black mamba? That doesn't trouble us at all. You know, and we say, oh, isn't it a beautiful thing? So, you know, part of me wanted it to roll off the tongue. I want journalists out there. I want volunteers coming to Africa. Everybody to say, that's a black mamba. I'm not embarrassed to use the word black because there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually something to celebrate at the end of the day. Anyway, that's my own personal angle to it. Um, but the, the reason, the badge was actually designed by the women themselves, the logo, with the two snakes looking over the black rhino's shoulders. You know, one's looking to sunrise and the other one's looking to the sunset. And the rhino can continue with its normal activities because it knows it's got the black mambas watching over it. That's so a that very powerful. Yeah, that's a very yeah. powerful image. The black mamba. It's a it's strong animal, and and, and you're right. And we on this channel, we uh, try to we promote that as well. We promote the sense of of ethnic minorities, but we also like to talk about the fact that you know black is not a bad word to use. So Correct. I agree. I agree with you completely. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. Oh, and producer Dave is on mute. So producer Dave. No, producer Dave tried to say I'm producer Dave, but the mute wouldn't come off. <laughs> I'm producer Dave. <laughs> and and we're and we're speaking with we're speaking with Craig Spencer, who's the founder of the Black Mamba anti-poaching unit uh, in the uh, the Bal Balule. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, the Balule Nature Reserve. Excellent. That's um, right. And they're teaming up with Samsung, uh, Samsung with because Samsung have donated or are invo involving themselves with the Galaxy S20 FE handsets, uh, where you can effectively live stream or you can you can go online and watch uh, these animals. You can actually become virtual black mambas if you want to. I'm just I'm saying that, that this is me saying it, not Craig Spencer. So don't hold don't, that this is don't take this as certification of the fact that you can call yourself a black mamba, but you could <laughs> virtually become a black mamba by going on wildlife-watch.com to um to you know live stream or to watch the live stream of the animals in there you can uh, alert the uh, rangers to any uh, any situations like if you see any poachers but nothing has happened obviously you can join in and help out now this uh, because our uh, radio show is about film and television i have this question that i want to ask um craig if this if you're and you talked about the the incident where they rescued the the abducted uh, woman so immediately i'm beginning to think that's going to be one of the plot lines from a movie or a tv series so in in your mind with your team who would you want to play you and members of the team in a fictionalized version of the black <laughs> member unit this is a good question it's a pretty sean connery so 
um, out of my age bracket. And retired, so I don't think we can pull him back into that. Well, there goes that idea then. Well, a lot of people would say either Rowan Atkinson or John Cleese, I think, to play myself. But then I want um, the, I can't remember what your name is, that played in the Marvel comics. Uh, she was like a ninja. You know, we don't, don't get access to movies and fear enough yeah. down here to follow it. So I, are, you, are you talking in which, you know, in which movie? I, I think I know which one you're talking about. Are you talking about in Black Panther or are you talking Black Widow? Yes, uh, both. There was, there was like a ninja auntie. She was African-American and she oh. had swords. Oh, um, oh so swords? Um, oh, oh, oh that was... Because, uh, again, there, there are a number of different ones. Because there's Ant-Man where there was, um, there was a lady. I can't remember her name, but she skipped my mind. But, um, um, maybe it was that. So, but so those Marvel comic kind of actresses, they would be perfect for the Black Mamba role. <laughs> sure. I, I, immediately, my, my, my mind went to Lupita Nyong'o, who's in Black Panther as well, um, who she's... Uh, yeah, so that was, that was one of the first people I, I thought about when I thought playing this particular role. Um, but also, there's the, somebody... Uh, was she the one that was born in Kenya? I, I think, think so. I think so. Yeah, then that's exactly the one that I'm thinking of. That is exactly he, the one that I had in mind. Yeah, she's also she's also in uh, she's she's um, also in the, the movie Us, uh, the Jordan Peele movie Us. Um, I think she's I can't I can't think of. Oh, she she won the Oscar for uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Um, so that's that's Lupita Nyong'o. Oh. She's the, she's the first person I thought of when I, I was thinking. Uh, I was also thinking uh, Dana Guerrera Garay. Dinah Garay. She's in Walking Dead. She's also in Black Panther. She plays Okoye in Black Panther. So, uh, yeah. So oh, wow, are... yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you seen the new Star Trek Discovery? Yes, I have. Yes. Um, oh, I know. Who... I want that lady. I know who you're talking <laughs> I about. She's... Have... She's... I will She's... buy that lady. <laughs> That's uh, Sonika Martin-Green. Sonika Martin Green, she's in. She's also from The Walking Dead. So you're you're getting a lot of Walking Dead characters coming in to play to play ah, members of Black okay. Panther. You know what? This is what we're gonna do. You Producer Dave and I, yeah. Producer that's Dave that's and I. Are gonna... that she played in Discovery. That's yes. Some... Keep interrupting. So I haven't caught up with the lag yet. If that role that you played in Discovery would be perfect for the students that when that didn't happen, because she has the, a very similar persona. Very similar approach, very similar moral ethics. You know, uh, speaks uh, the same everything. That, that's what that's what we're gonna do. Uh, Producer Dave and I are gonna work, pull all this, the the massive strings that we have. We'll get Rowan Atkinson to play you, and we'll get uh, Lupita Nyong'o, yeah. uh, Denai Garai, and uh, Sun Sunika to to join in and play with Black Mambas. Uh, Producer Dave has a question, Fantastic. and we can round up for today. I just want to know if someone is watching. The, is on virtual watch and sees something, how would they be able to uh, alert you that they've seen something that's a bit suspicious? Yes, good question. Good question that, you know, when they log on and they can be watching it from their phone or from a TV or whatever, a laptop, EDC, there's a little button at the bottom, a little icon that you can push to send a message immediately. And then it comes through to us instantaneously. But, you know, there's, a, there's another thing that... And you can send any messages, you know, you don't just have to say gunshot detected, um, rhino just walked past or whatever it is. So send a word of encouragement and say, hey, hey, keep it up, you know, thanks very much for doing what you're doing, this sort of thing. Because, you know, we, we have um, 
been isolated from the global community out here in Africa. And these tribal villages haven't had access to the internet, social media, this kind of thing forever. Um, I, I believe that if we want our message, our ethos, whatever to get out, and, and we, we really need to integrate the local people into the global, so they can follow global trends, um, global politics, make informed decisions, so on and so on. So with these little devices, it's become, they now have Facebook profiles. They have Instagram. They, they post pictures of themselves. Troll, this is, these are my kids child's birthday tomorrow, everybody's wishing them happy birthday and so on. Suddenly they're part of global community. It's, it's an absolute game changer for somebody's life. And these are things that we didn't anticipate. Uh, you know, we thought, yeah, it's a fantastic tool to help catch poachers or prevent poaching or whatever. But we didn't realize suddenly, and myself included, you know, how, how do we keep in touch with the world? You must update your Facebook profile every now and again. You must wake up in the morning, tells you your friend is having a birthday, your mother, whatever, you know what all that stuff is. It's, um, so it's, it's got so many added values. But to answer your question, David, the guys can push that little button. They can send a message. Send messages of encouragement as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, and that website is, uh, is wildlife-watch.com. Uh, you can go on there, live stream, send messages to, to Craig and the Black, uh, the Black Mamba uh, unit who are working with Samsung working collaboration with Samsung, who've provided uh, Galaxy S20 FE handsets to be able to allow you to live stream 24-7 the wildlife reserve at the Balule Nature Reserve, which is part of the Kruger National Park in South Africa. Uh, Craig, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to myself and producer Dave, uh, and we wish you all the best. We, you're, doing, you're doing great work. You and the Black Mamba team are doing great work, and we will be definitely tuning in, sending messages every now and again, on uh, on the website just to say hi Thanks, and Thanks, say Dave. we're watching you guys. Thank you very much, Marcus. Thanks, Dave. Great talking to us. And that was Craig Spencer from uh, the anti-poaching unit Black Mamba. So the Black Mamba anti-poaching unit in the Kruger Park uh, Wildlife Resort in South Africa. Uh, just want to put a little disclaimer because producer Dave kind of checked, sent me a message straight after the uh, the interview that we had. Said, by the way, Sean Connery has died. So I was like, oh, shoot. Um, yes. So he died in October last year. Um, and that just completely just went over my head. I The last bit I remembered was that he had retired. But, uh, you know, rest in peace, Sean Connery. And uh, I guess Craig Spencer will have to find somebody else. He did say Ron Atkinson, right? So Ron Atkinson or John Cleese. So if any of you know Ron, Ron Atkinson or uh, Rowan Atkinson, not Ron Atkinson, Rowan Atkinson and John Cleese, and they are interested in playing Craig Spencer of the Black Mamba anti-poaching unit in South Africa, you know, send them our way and then we can, we can talk to them about it. Uh, I want to thank all our guests for coming on, uh, for, you know, joining us and just allowing us to waste their time by asking them stupid questions about films and stuff. Uh, and I want to thank all of you all for listening to us on Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thank you very much for coming back each week, downloading the podcast. It comes out on Monday. Thank you very much for all of that. I have been Marcus E. Ako. And I'm still David Campbell. Saying thank you very much for listening. You can hear us next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>